If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser. Uh, I'm joined by... Uh, to my left is Chris Cusack, who invented flat Pringles. <laughs> uh, he's also been married to Pauline Quirk three times. <laughs> She's just opened a dance school or acting school in Glasgow, you know. Uh, yeah, I know, I saw that. On the back of a bus, I saw the advert. No, the school's not in the back of the bus. <laughs> the school's, the school's school. also on the back of a bus. I'm bound to bump into it as well. It's going to be really awkward because we're on like our third settlement. Did you know that uh, the phrase? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the phrase "a quirk of fate" is actually to do with Pauline Quirk? She invented venom. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> hell. She actually, she's actually one of the most poisonous animals in the world. That's astonishing. Yeah, but probably true because you said it. Um, you know, I tell three times you should know. <laughs> we barely spoke. <laughs> I was really just a way to get to um, what's her name? Is it Dorian and Birds of a Feather? The dark-haired Dorothy? Oh, it might be Dorian. I don't know. Whoever the, yeah. the promiscuous dark-haired yeah. housewife was, yeah, the cougar. Yeah, I was just really going through Pauline to get to her. But yeah, uh, to my right is Dave Weaver, um, who uh, has been trying to grow a, a sort of new metal sort of Serge Tankian system of a down. Uh, kind of beard thing but it's not been working so he's taken to shaving his back and using those hairs because he feels they're softer and um, more likely to attract the caresses of uh, young <laughs> <laughs> young carry on <laughs> I'm, I'm realising what a difficult time this is to make uh, jokes about anything of that sort so young pensioners Young pensioners. Nobody cares about pensioners getting I molested. I thought these bits... Nobody. <laughs> pensioners, you could molest pensioners up and down the place 
day and night. And folk would probably be like, because humanity oh, that's nice. He's, he's helping them out, <laughs> making them feel wanted. Because <laughs> humanity is so fucked that we know that all pensioners at some point have done something terrible, so they deserve whatever they get. What if what they get is the downy fluff from your back glued to your chin in a new metal style? <laughs> anyway, yeah, do we have a show? <laughs> <laughs> the public have decided that Foo Fighters by Foo Fighters is not getting voted into discography. Make it flat, what you will. Yeah, on this episode we're talking about uh, Violator by Depeche Mode, which was my <laughs> choice. It was indeed. Why was it your choice? Uh, I wanted to choose something a bit different for the rock stuff we were doing, uh, primarily. And mm-hmm. also, I really love this record. I, I like the sound of it. Um, I think it's been really influential to a lot of, not just electronic music, but bands generally, I think, too. And it's just full of bangers. It's just wall-to-wall <laughs> bangers. <laughs> you were being so respectable and kind of above board when <laughs> you're disco. It was just like... Just full of bangers, mate. Shorty down. Totally banging. Just full of bangers. <laughs> Uh, how I disagree you can <laughs> no, have to no, so how, Tell us How did you get into this album How did you find A friend it? recommended it to me When I was in college uh-huh. I'd never heard Depeche Mode before And um, They were like Yeah you should listen to Violator by Depeche Mode And I was like That's the band that, that, that song Just can't get enough Nah Not like that just Mate like, oh. Classic Listen to it yeah, uh, 63 you... wins on a trot You do get a wee <laughs> bit sick of it But uh, what can I say We're just that good <laughs> And I was like, I listened to it and <laughs> the first thing that hit me about it was the production. I think the production is just immense. The strings, the way that all this, the sequencing and the, the synths are just arranged. The arrangement as well, I guess, and the production, both things work hand in hand really well. And I wasn't, I wasn't really expecting it, plus it's really fucking dark, man. I'm pretty sure uh, Dave Gaggan was coming off. Is it Dave Gaggan? Is it Gaggan? Gaggan. 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 <laughs> <laughs> The lead vocalist, I'm pretty sure he was just com- he's, he was just coming off. I had just come off heroin at the time, so it informed quite a lot of lyrical choices as well. So yeah, I, when like when you chose this one, I have to admit I didn't really know a lot about Depeche Mode, so I, it was the the one that I've had to kind of spend the most time trying to really uh, try and understand. I I take your point about it being dark. I didn't find it as dark as I expected it to be. From from what you'd said, given you know it was the nineteen it was nineteen ninety it came yeah. out. There was some pretty dark music kicking about at that time, you know, and I mean that was like kind of era of, of early Nine Inch Nails, early Ministry and stuff. Mm. And I didn't I didn't find this to be like. But it's clear they weren't listening to anything like that. They were coming from the synth pop background. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, but you really got dark it. For but them. but the album immediately after this, um, is Faith and Devotion. Yeah, Faith and Devotion is the one where they clearly demonstrated like he he was quite outspoken about how much he admired Nirvana and Soundgarden and these bands that were there at the time and they went for quite a a big kind of dark rocky sound so I mean they're not they didn't live in a vacuum as big as they were like mm. they, I, I just yeah I mean it's I get the sombre kind of like you know minor nature of it but I, I, I didn't um, find it over like overbearingly downbeat well funnily enough I kind of came from an opposite perspective of that in that I'd, I'd never really listened to this album before either I, and my previous Depeche Mode sort of experience was um, Just Can't Get Enough and but that was, was their first album yeah, yeah I know exactly and 
I'm not gonna lie, I fucking love cheesy eighties pop. I one of the best albums of all time, and maybe we'll do it on this, is uh Tears for Fears, um songs from Big Chair. Fucking love <laughs> Kate Bush, I love fucking you know, early talk talk as well as, you know, their mad, you know, uh, post rock shit later on. I like my most you're subscribed in, playlist on Spotify is my eighties playlist. And your entire all, life is a dare. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing I don't do that isn't wrapped in wads of irony. But uh, I no, I I but then I'd also I'd heard "Enjoy the Silence" off this Damn. record, which is a fucking great track. heard the Marilyn Manson cover of yeah. Personal Jesus. <laughs> oh, look at Chris's face. Uh, no, not the Johnny Cash one. No. I, I would um, just find out that Marilyn Manson didn't have his testes removed in that accident where the prop fell on him, and I'm a little disappointed. He didn't have his testes or his ribs removed when he was a teenager so he could suck his own dick. He didn't have any... He's never sometimes had any fake news is better news. Okay. <laughs> um, so I came from this quite blank, and for me... I always thought of Depeche Mode as a big 80s pop band. Yeah, me too. In the yeah. same sort of vein as Duran Duran, Tears for Fears, Erasure, who I fucking love. Um, and for me, this was, because my expectations were different, this was this was a lot darker than I thought it would be. Um, and I was like, when I listened to this, I was like, oh, I can totally see how this has been influential amongst the sort of gothy stuff, the electro stuff. You know, Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, Marlon Manson, that whole, it sort of tied into that more than the, you know, that big pop, st- you know, glossy stuff from the from the mid-80s. I think, I think like, you again, this is all just based on me trying to kind of get to grips with this band a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit more thoroughly, but the they just can't get enough stuff, the 1981 stuff, uh, what was it? Um... I can't remember the name of the album, but the, Vince Clark was a big part of that. Uh-huh, yeah, and the, he not former Razor, yeah, I believe. So like he he left, did that band Yazoo, Yaz, Yazoo, depending on what country you're from, and and then um, did a Razor, and you can really hear that and just can't get enough. I mean, that is like that could have been an Razor song, mm-hmm. you know. And I think Depeche Mode, uh, yeah, I, I just I just don't. Again, maybe we're just seeing it from totally different perspectives here. I, I see Depeche Mode as quite a somber band. That's like I see them as quite like Enjoy the Silence was the tune. It's a great song. It's a it's a song that when I was a kid and I was listening passively to radio, it stood out as being particularly good, and it still does stand out as being particularly good. Um, but yeah, I think they 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 did suggest to me the opposite. So it's interesting that Dave's got such different perspective on them because yeah, there are absolutely were a whole bunch of bands around that time that are sort of. Um, peers of theirs, but certainly I I wouldn't associate creatively, uh, and or you know, I wouldn't associate in terms of their outlook or approach to what they were doing. This was like very. I think I think Depeche Mode it also seems are taken really really seriously. You know, like uh, by people that like them. Um, I know they have massive appeal, but the musicians that like them are big enthusiasts of 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 the band and of their technical prowess of their. The work they did with synthesizers, you know, the the advances they made and the sound that this album in particular, I believe, is considered to be quite daring and quite boundary pushing in terms of like 
the arrangement and production. I think in that sense, I mean, we kind of spoke about this briefly at some point. Um, I don't think it sounds too dated. I think all the sequencing on it uh, and sort of synthesizer, synthesizer sounds are now so commonplace, but done in a sort of ironic kind of way that it doesn't really make it sound as dated as it probably should. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 no, just very quickly, it would be interesting to know what impact the technology had on this album because this is one thing you forget when you're doing electronic music more so than guitar music is that the, the technology of the era affects electronic music far more substantially than it affects guitar music even though there are advances in guitar music and even though you get bands that can now play through laptops that make all the pedal changes for them the differences are far more apparent in electronic music where the technology suddenly be- makes possibilities apparent that were, were never even considered before or were incredibly difficult before, you know, Kraftwerk were going through banks of things to do something you can now do on a phone. So it it, it it's and it would be interesting to see how much of as 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 forward looking as a lot of what they did is said to be, it would be quite interesting to really know how much of that was enabled by advances in technology of the time. Because I'm not really sure what gear they were using. Not that I'm trying I'm I'm not trying to downplay the accomplishment of their album, but it is interesting with electronic music to kind of bear that in mind when you're listening to it. Like, how much of this is an idea they had and how much of this is actually a technical thing that was put in front of them and, like, you can do this now. And they're now, and so, therefore, they take advantage of it. I mean, I think that's a good point. But then the next record, Songs of Faith and Devotion, they kind of... Rejects that. Rejects it entirely. Not entirely, because there's still a lot of synthesizers, a lot of keyboards on it, but there's way more guitars and there's mm-hmm. definitely that, that grunge influence. I think the thing that appealed to me most about Violator though and probably came along at the right time when I heard it as well is the whole vibe and atmosphere of it is really not electro at all you know it's, it almost feels metal in a lot of ways even though they were probably never metal fans it feels more goth I, I think well that's a, that's a big goth element I mean it's goth it's goth that being dreary as goth as sometimes can be it's a wee bit dreary you know yeah it's definitely is <laughs> but it's not like it's, it's his vocals his vocal lines day. are quite morose but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I yeah, I really like. There's like a sparseness to the production that I really liked. Mm. That wasn't expected. Yeah, because what well, I, I was actually I was surprised to see that it was 1990 that it came out. I th- I just always associated them with being an 80s band. Mm. Um, well, they didn't have a number one album until 91 or 92, mm. which is interesting. Like, because it was Songs of Faith and Devotion that came in and went to number one. So like as big as they were at this time, I think they were like, like I, th- I think it was when this album came out. They sold, uh, I think they had there was a forty eight thousand capacity stadium in the states that sold out in half an hour when this album came out. But they weren't a number one album, so it was like it was a sustained, you know, succession of albums. Because I mean, seventh, this was the seventh. I think. Yeah, I mean they've so, been going for a long time at this yeah, point, yeah, you know, yeah. and. That's, that's the other remarkable thing about it as well. They made a, a Seven conscious... Seven albums in nine years, actually. It's, yeah. it's not that long. It's quite impressive. Like, and after after that, it, they took a lot of time between albums, in some cases. Yeah, but that's because people thought yeah. they were breaking up, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, because Alan Wilder left, like, later on down the line. I think after Ultra, he left. Yeah, but they didn't think they were going to reform. I think it was not before that, but they, they didn't think they were going to continue. Yeah, because there was, there, was there was a lot of, like, uh, discontent before they went into Songs of Faith and Devotion. Because they totally decided to make a conscious effort to change up the style of how this album was made as well compared to the previous stuff, which I think probably had quite a lot of say in the way that it was composed and the structure, you know? Apparently, for this one, 
in, in particular, they decided to to um, not have uh, is it Martin Gore? Is that his mm. name? Um, to not have Martin Gore overly finish the demos for it. Like he he was very much like uh, in a position of doing a lot of composition, I believe, or whoever whoever was doing the the, the demos were left much more uh, sparse. To enable the band to put more of the band's influence into the music for this one, uh, so I understand it anyway. That's when I, I guess that's when, if you look at the credits of the records, you actually see that a lot of the compositional aspects of it actually come from Alan Wilder as well. So like you had like, uh, oh, there was an interesting breakdown mm-hmm. that said he was the facilitator, Martin Gore was the ideas man, and Dave Gann was the personality mm-hmm. of of like in terms of how the yeah. how the three the dynamic worked. So like I think I think. I could be wrong here, but the way I understand it is a lot of the sort of synthy sounds and the kind of pads and all that were very much compositional part of Alan Wilder's sort of thing. And Martin Gore was more the kind of the sequencing synthesizers. And then, you know, Gahan was the voice. It's interesting. This is, I, th- I believe this is still, though, even though it didn't come in as high in the charts, this is their biggest selling album mm-hmm. of the because of Because of like the two, I mean, I think... From what I understand, when Personal Jesus first came out, people didn't really weren't expecting that. Like they weren't expecting to to hear like Depeche Mode doing a song like this, and it kind of prefaced this this record. Which I mean, Personal Jesus is very lyrically dark. But I don't. I think musically, it's not. It doesn't yeah. fit in the album. It's quite. It's quite it stands out. It's mm. different. Do you know? Um, yeah. The, the Personal Jesus is really anomalous in the album for a few reasons. It's like they did a lot of stuff in Milan. For this album, yeah. um, but it was the only song they recorded in Milan. The rest apparently. was in Norway, wasn't it? Or yeah, Denmark. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was Denmark. The rest was done elsewhere, and they actually, well, according to them, they they got pretty hedonistic in Milan with the time there, rather than recording much. But I, I, I was fascinated to find out about the the kind of primitive version of a viral campaign they did mm. for Personal Jesus. Did you hear about this? Like, no. so they took out adverts and and newspapers that just said your own Personal Jesus, and then they took them out again. That said your own personal Jesus and had the phone number and you could phone the phone number and that, that track would play on the phone number and <laughs> so like their fans were like ringing up this line all the time yeah. and it was like an early attempt at like really alternative marketing like a really unusual approach to it and it seemed to create quite a buzz ahead of the album coming out so it is a bit of an outlier in a few ways personal Jesus on the album apart from just the way it sounds it does de- it does definitely sound a bit strange compared to the rest of the record. I mean, enjoy enjoy the silence is a lot closer to the actual overall aesthetic of the record. I think, on the whole, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tunes on this record which are just I don't know they just they make me feel really uneasy, and I've never really I've never really felt that before when I had and I'd heard electronic music, and every single time, even to this day, when I hear Martin Gore's um, backing vocals. Because it's really high, almost womanly sort of backing vocal. It always just gets me. I don't. I can't. I can't really describe why, but it just it just does something for me, which I think is pretty incredible. It's something for France as well. It was number one there. Was it? It was one of the only countries that went to number one. And and it's weird because when you're talking about some of it. I do. I don't know why subconsciously I just associate the Pesh mode as big as they were in the states with being really. Popular in France. Yeah. Yeah. I was I had this total misconception as well. I thought uh at least two of the, the main members in Depeche Mode were gay. And apparently they're not. No. I have no idea. I, I just it just they'd always to me just been a band that was like a large proportion of the band were gay. Um and I, I, I don't know where I got that idea. 
So it's this it's just just a little bit of trivia there, but I I honestly don't know where that came from. And I just was like quite like, oh, that's weird. The music made less sense to me once I knew they weren't <laughs> gay. I was like, oh. And I, I guess the the innuendo and stuff, I sort of liked it less once I knew they weren't gay. I was like, oh, okay. There are some creepy songs that track like Blue Dress, you know what I mean? Like that's that's a pretty uh, but apparently, um yeah, like uh, Gore said that uh, he, he described blue dress as being pervy, mm-hmm. I believe was the phrase. And it is. Some of the lyrics are and just about watching a woman get dressed. Yeah. Which is kinda of strange. And there are songs about that's strange, but yeah. I mean, I guess for for if you thought they were gay, I guess it's pretty strange. Um I don't know and I think Wild in My Eyes is a really good opener because it, it clues you right into the atmosphere of the record immediately. And it, it, you, you kind of get this sense you're going to get taken on this weird journey. And I kind of... It must have been even more staggering as a fan of the band to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, mm-hmm. This is not... This is not the Depeche Mode I signed up for. I I have to say, like, and I'm obviously not overly overly familiar with this album, I've been trying pretty hard to get used to that. I think the first two songs are two of the weakest songs on it. Well, I think I'd probably agree with that. I think um, it's a good, I think it's a good opener to clue you into the record. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a massive fan, though, and he, he thinks the second tune is one of their best. So it was like it's strange how again opinions vary, um, depending on how significant the band is to you personally. You know, this is a band that I don't have much vested in. Other, I'm open-minded about it, but you know for example for me on this album the standout track was Halo I think it's an excellent song like with really interesting chords and really interesting lines in it but it's not a single it's you know yeah funnily enough coming from a similarly sort of blank background Halo was the one that stood out for me as well yeah It's really nice and um i mean enjoy the silence is a great song as well obviously but I, yeah that that's weird that that kind of really came across that tune but so I, i'm not sure how you as a fan of the album uh you see the peaks and troughs when i first when i first heard it the the song that stood out to me the most was clean at the end mm-hmm. because it's just like it's just like dave like singing it in this like void almost and he's got that weird reverb on his voice yeah. and it kind of builds and it's just I don't know I, I keep coming back to this word atmosphere and it comes back to the atmosphere of the record it just makes me feel really odd and I just love that about it you know Halo's also a really good song um, I do like Blue Dress a lot Waiting for the Night also love that I think that's I've been listening to this it, that was so just that was meant to be called Waiting for the Night to Fall yeah which is the actual lyric the, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I was just going to say I've been listening to this album like over the last couple of nights walking back from work and it just seems like a really fucking perfect album. Walking back, nighttime, cold. Get jumped. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> you know, uh, through the city, you know, down weird sort of. Um, where are you, you know, walking, abandoned. man? You could just you could walk up well lit roads. I know where you live. They've, no, they've got what? street lights. You don't have to be walking down I'm weird. Going, I'm going through Tradeston, man. <laughs> fucking hell, it's mental here. Uh, but you know, it just it's like just really good soundtrack for a slightly you know. It's a nighttime album. Mm-hmm. It's a totally. winter album. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not one you go fucking pump on the beach at, you know, <laughs> 7 pm and not, July even, or not even enjoy the silence. Like you know who wants one. to be Depeche Mode? A band close to your heart, Dave. Orgy. <laughs> Orgy. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> I, I own two Orgy records. 
I didn't even know Audrey had two records. The first two. <laughs> Are they both the same record? Basically. Yeah. First <laughs> I mean, one they did Blue cover Monday Blue Monday. Monday. Yeah. Of course they did. And what else uh, did they do? You know, New Order. <laughs> I, New Order, another band that are sort of of that era, sort of, you know, um, peers of uh, Depeche Mode. And. But Depeche Mode are just darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Policy of Truth, and I'll stand it for me as well. I'm pretty sure it was a single. I think that was the third single on the yeah, record. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because um, it has that big chorus with a weird kind of synth horns. Cool. Um, I, see, I, I don't get a lot from that song. I get, it's one of the most memorable ones, but I, it, it's not memorable in a way that really, like, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's it's strange coming to an album that's got such a significance and yet struggling to, like, find, find the in, you know, mm. find the access points of, like, like I said, like, I think Enjoy the Silence and the chorus of Halo and couple others are real ways that you can find your way in under the armour and start to kind of get into it but man some of the other stuff it just I don't know if it's a case of it dating or if I don't I don't know if I'm just not it's just not something that's intended or it's just not something that's compatible with well going back to something you said I think that maybe some of it's I don't know like Vitality has been dampened by how influential it's been, mm. and a lot of the, you know the, the sequences and the you know the chord progressions and even the you know the the vocal lines have been used so much by so many bands, particularly now, you know, because this music's so fucking fashionable right now. But yeah. is is this album more influential than their other work? Because songs of faith and devotion, for example, seems like it was very high profile. And some of the stuff bef- be- be- beforehand as well it seems like it was very, very high profile. So like, they've always been a high profile band, though. Everything they've done has been met with great fanfare since the night, since the eighties. To me, even this was always the Depeche Mode album I knew of, and this was maybe the crossover one, and it's the one that I've read about people. You know, always going back to you know, you know, you know, fans from you know uh, musicians from you know metal, goth. Pop always go back but to what the, about, like, this one. See, I always hear about music for the masses. That's the one that's always kind of mentioned. The one to before me. this, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, do do you feel this this album had more influence than that? I think it's definitely had a lot more influence on a lot more nineties kind of goth artists. It's interesting when you think about the songs of faith and devotion. Just to think it, just coming back to that for a wee second is like that. Just reminds me of being like a soundtrack for the Crow film. <laughs> it's an though, interesting analogy Even though it's not But it sounds like it fits yeah, yeah. exactly in that And that's very much of its time I think Music for the Masses is probably the stepping stone Towards getting to Towards getting to Violator But I think Violator's probably still the outlier In their catalogue as well And the sound of it I think the actual overall sound Of all component parts of it Still resonates to this day the only thing that I mean, I appreciated this album more after I started listening to the band Health. I don't know if you guys know Health. Yeah, I know Health well. Death Magic, Death Magic, has got so much influence for this record on it. It's like staggering. And I came, but I went back and listened to that record, and I was like, I can hear it even more now, and the stuff that's kind of like electro and current. I feel you know? like I'm on a different planet right now because the Health that I think of is a million miles away from this. But they used to be, and then they became a pure electro fucking. Yeah, Health used to be noise, but now band, they yeah. are like. Mm-hmm. I think I yeah, must have tuned out proper electro. Yeah, they're proper like, but like, still good. But yeah, imagine if electro, imagine electro band playing metal, but 
but like not in a pure obvious industrial way. That's basically what health sounds like. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big ask. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's weird, but there's, they've, they've got weird stuff. They've got like blast beats and all that in songs where it was playing like really loud, mad keyboards and stuff, and the production's pure pop and all that. And it's See, um, that's a good record. But Death Magic, I saw them in stereo. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the time, and they'd we're talking about health now, but. Mm. Time in Glasgow they'd played uh, before was in Captain's Rest. Upstairs in the Captain's Rest. And it was just absolute chaos. And then in stereo they played, and I, I really enjoyed it because the songs were good and they put on a good show, but like a lot of it was on backing track mm-hmm. and a lot of it was, you know, about... Pitchfork. It was, <laughs> it was it, I mean, it was. They're it was a pitchfork pitch band. Then. They're I mean, such they're, a pitchfork band. Yeah, like, and I, yeah, I fucking, I really enjoyed that album, but... I don't know that like that live show left me feeling pretty a bit empty. Um, I, I think that, that that's that's a band that leaves me feeling really empty. I have to be honest. I, there's something horribly hollow about them. Um, something really gutted out, and like, like the whole pitchfork thing. Like it's just I, I I can't put my finger on it. But yeah, we're we're getting sidetracked here. But I, that's a lot of a lot of the vocal melodies on Death Magic are are significantly yeah, absolutely. taken from this record. Really, that's that's session. interesting. I'd like to listen to that with that in mind because, yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, pairing that I hadn't put together. So there's a whole load of yeah, sort of like like gothy electro dark stuff. Even you know coming from LA right now, um, that yeah, the, you can tell is very violator. You feel like MGMT as well, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, there's definitely a huge influence on them, and I don't, I'm not even, I don't even really like them. But w- what I've heard of them definitely sounds like they've taken yeah, some I mean, of the sounds directly from this record. Jesus, you know, right. I mean, I think, I think that's we're now getting into the realm of making the point that so much of what is happening now is so painfully fucking lifted from from the eighties retro a record, which is now twenty seven years old. Yeah, I mean, I say eighties retro, this is nineteen ninety, but you know, what I mean, like, I mean, it's an eighties album. Yeah, yeah, it feels like an easy. Yeah, album. I mean, it is definitely. It's you can see that we're looking towards a new decade and going. We want to try and do something different, but they're still coming out with that hangover of having mm-hmm. 80s sound. You know. Yeah, do Do you think this is their best album? I do. Yeah. Do you think it's the most to 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 use the analogy from an earlier episode and when we did the converge? Like, do you think it's also the most important album? See. I don't know because I, like I said at the start or before we started recording, I listened. I was listening to songs of faith and devotion recently and that's definitely got, as a guitar player and someone that likes guitar music that's got a much bigger appeal to me just because yeah it sonically, is less typically Depeche Mode yeah, though isn't it is, it uh, it is but I, it just keeps coming back to the production and arrangement of this record for me every single time it just makes my hair stand on end mm. every single fucking time especially the string sounds it just makes me go wow like that was that must have taken a lot of Processing power to do back at that time to make it sound that good. Well, that's that's kind of what I mean about the technology. Yeah. Like, I wonder how big a part that played in terms of their creative decisions. What was possible sometimes makes your mind up for you because mm. wow, this has never been possible before. We were rich enough to afford it; we should use it. And that's that's a big part of music in general. Jesus Christ, autotune. You know, that's that's an entire style of music that has grown just from the ability to do it, not because it should happen. You know, everybody was like, can we do it? And nobody thought, should we do it? You know, autotune is like the fucking skynet of music. <laughs> um, and I just like, yeah, I mean, the production in this, I like it. It is ghostly. It is quite, 
bit melancholy sparse. and sparse. I just it didn't need to be for them either. Given the stuff that came before and after it, it didn't need to have that kind of empty void sound that it, ha- yeah. it has. I mean, and I, even the artwork as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the aesthetics. I think the artwork as well, like, defines it perfectly because you know it's just fucking black, little red line, a little bit of you know, it's uh, yeah. I think it works pretty perfectly in sort of you know summing it up. Visually I think as well. we can't obviously do it, but it'd be interesting to, to actually see you know, a world without the influence of this album, you know, what albums, in your opinion, do you think wouldn't exist without this album? Maybe that's an interesting way to put it. Apart, lot, from, apart from Orgy. <laughs> I think a lot of Mala Masters wouldn't exist without it, for sure. The later stuff? All Like of it. Mechanical Animals kind of stuff? All of it. I mean, he obviously he was hugely influenced by Trent Reznor as well, but there's a lot of sounds from, I guess, probably Smells Like Children onwards, which are just taken wholesale from the... From, the things that the Peshmer are doing, especially the more melodic vocal lines, I would say. It would be interesting to see a balance of influence, like if you could ever graph it between Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails as well, because Pretty Hate Machine doesn't sound. I mean, there's definitely that's not that to me. That's not optimum Nine Inch Nails. It's though. not because I, I think probably to get out of what we was getting at as well is like it is that it is that total thing of like. You can probably you can tell at some point he's listened to this record and went, I want to do something a bit like that, but with what I like to do. Yeah. You know, and then he comes out with what was the next one? Uh, Demo Spiral. Was that the next one? Yeah. yeah Downward, I think That's, Downward Spiral takes a lot from this album. I think I think we'll probably end up encountering Downward Spiral in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a huge album for me personally as well. But I, yeah, I mean, okay, I can, I can, I can take your point. And uh, there's elements in Downward Spiral, like stuff in like a warm place and things like that, that I can see are influenced maybe. By the the arrangements on this, mm. um, those guys weren't far behind each other, so it's hard I think to vocally it's quite similar as well. I think so. <laughs> I mean, there's not no, there's not a lot in Downward Spiral. March of the Pigs. And no, no, like I <laughs> no, like just overall in like the sort of overall Nine Inch Nails. I I see like Trent's vocals are quite, and I, I don't know, like quite understated, mm-hmm. quite. I don't know, it's maybe the way that it's mic'd, it's maybe the way that it's like quite intense and personal. Like it's, you know, it goes a lot. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm feeling not, a bit. I'm not getting that one at all, man. But um, I, 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 maybe with the later stuff. Maybe. On his quiet, on the quiet Trent stuff, he's like. Well, but that's, that's speak- well after Downward Spiral, mostly anyway. Yeah, I know, but like that's well after Violator as well. I think like. The influence of Violator in I would Nine probably, Inch Nails goes probably like gets deeper as it goes on. I would say that melodically, like vocally, melodically, Nine Inch Nails, which is a total tangent here. Nine Inch Nails have always, um, he, he's he's always he's always got the same ideas that he just keeps recycling on every record, like vocally. Yeah, that's not the most interesting thing about Nine Inch Nails, obviously. But I definitely think there's a Depeche Mode influence on that, even in the mm-hmm. even in the louder stuff he does as well. He's vocal. He said a bit of the delivery. You know, that's true. But I mean, I guess a lot of vocalists tend to find a find a niche and sort of occupy it. Yeah, I mean, use their safe notes. Yeah, I mean, David Joe didn't have the biggest of ranges, but he's pretty pretty idiosyncratic. Um, yeah, as well, Roscoe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I I can I can definitely acquiesce to the, the notion that this isn't influential. This does seem like a good and strong representation of the work. So what I, I can get with that. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I I I, I didn't feel a lot for this album as I said Halo was the standout track but 
I I would not fall out with the notion of it going through to you know some kind of list. The only caveat might be that if I had the time to really immerse myself in their back catalogue, I, I wonder if I wouldn't find an album that was more striking. And I feel from talking to people, almost everybody I've spoken to has a different Depeche Mode album that they that, that they prefer. So I'm kind of wary of, is this the one? So it'd be interesting to see how people react to it on that basis. Yeah, I can totally understand that because they've, they've got a huge body of work as well. So. Oh, fuck me, it's 17 albums or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So there's, there's going to be 100 something. million record sales is what I read at the last count. What's interesting is talking about like eighties pop, and like for a lot of people, you know that one single just can't get enough is their entry to Depeche Mode. For a lot, but as we found out, sixty thousand people every Saturday. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but what we found out is that there's so much more to fucking Depeche Mode, and they're influential in all these different genres. But there's so many bands like that in eighties pop who have their like one or two tracks that are the massive sort of era defining genre tracks and like a lot of these out maybe it was just the 80s and they were just given loads of cocaine and money and they were allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted but you know they they became fucking massive off a couple of pop tracks and then they were just allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted and sometimes that was good sometimes that was bad i don't know that's, just a yeah, little that's, tangent that's there. absolutely still the case but you know sometimes these bands benefit from a bit of autonomy and support and the industry was different then. And if you demonstrated the ability to do stuff, you were allowed to run with it and there weren't the same pressures exerted on you to conform. Depeche Mode wouldn't happen now because a band that sounded like Depeche Mode would never be allowed to branch off into such yeah. challenging directions unless they had... Like, like, I think Radiohead were the last ones to sneak under that door before it shut where they're allowed to dictate the, the trajectory of their own career. It seems like the only ones now who could change their career would be to bend it towards the arc of conformity as opposed to away from. It doesn't seem very likely that many new bands, even if they are quite successful, are going to be allowed to stretch their legs the way these guys did on those many outlier albums from the sounds of it. You know, they, 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 they're sort of like a, one of those kind of median graphs where it's like, all the crosses are quite disparate and you draw the median line and the median line is sort of, you know, this is what we think of Depeche Mode. But when you actually look at the points, some of their points are pretty far off that line. You know, you're like, yeah. like, and it's it's interesting that they went in so many directions. You know, I, I, I respect that at least, uh, even if I don't, this the album doesn't blow my mind. So the panel decides then, should it go in or not? I'm, I'm on the fence. I don't fall out with it. So I, my only concern is that I feel there may be a stronger Depeche Mode album. Maybe more there. But that is not shooting it down, and I'm reasonably comfortable with that going to the, the, the you know the form of public opinion. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I really I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot, um, and I can see how influential it was. Um, I can't say if it's the defining Depeche Mode album, but you know, yeah, I think this great. is the only one you need to be honest, personally. Hey, man, it's, uh, it's your it's my call. Opinion. Uh, well. We leave it to the public to decide, as they will. Uh, so please do go and vote. On our next episode, we'll be listening to... DJ Shadow introducing. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we owe you one, man. So that's, uh, that's fine. I'll take that on the chin. Mm.